This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, I'm going to be talking about the 2021-2022 film, See For Me, starring Skylar Devonport and directed by Randall Okaida. The 2021-22 bit there is just a thing because it was doing festival rounds in 2021, but it got its wider release in U.S. and Canada, at least, in January of this year, 2022. If this film sounds familiar, I did mention it in episode 27, What's Next, where I shared some of my thoughts on what seemed or seems to be at least to me, emerging and on the horizon in terms of disability representation in horror. This film was brought to my attention by overall phenomenal human being, podcaster both here at Anatomy of the Scream with some limited series like such sites to show you, getting into the origin of Clyde Barker's Hellraiser and White Ladies in Crisis, and the oft-referenced here horror queers, and one of the folks instrumental in the creation of Anatomy of a Scream, Joe Lipset. I watched See For Me as soon as it hit VOD because I do appreciate a good home invasion thriller slash horror, and I've covered some ground with what I think is kind of a subgenre dealing specifically with disabled folks in kind of the home invasion setting and talking about films like Hush and Wait Until Dark. But as I mentioned in the What's Next episode, this film features an actor with a disability. Actually identifies as having a couple of different disabilities. And I wouldn't be doing anything resembling proper work here if I didn't dedicate an episode to the film. Good news is that this is now a little bit more accessible as it is both streaming on Hulu and Shudder, which I know a lot of folks have maybe one or the other. So if you do have one of those streaming platforms at your fingertips, highly recommend giving this a watch. So to talk about this film, I'm going to do something a little bit different in terms of approach. I'm going to start out by walking slower through our plot synopsis, mixing some of my own notes and thoughts with our time and truly tested Wikipedia synopsis and expanding on certain details as we go along. And I also am going to conclude by talking about our lead actor, Skylar, and sharing some things I learned through various interviews that I listened to and read uh, that I think were really kind of important, at least to me, in talking about the film. So, 
One last thing before I get started. Skylar identifies as being non-binary. When talking about Skylar, I'll be using the pronouns uh, they and them. And when talking about the character of Sophie, I'll be using the she, her pronouns as I believe that's how they identify in the film. I really hope that makes sense. That seems like the right thing, the right approach there. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that didn't get confusing. So, with that all said, let's get to it and let's talk about See For Me. Hey, sweetie, you okay? There's this new app I heard about and it could be handy in case you need Okay, it. I'll check it out. Just a little step. Yep, I got it. Hi. Hi. Please, come in. All of Archie's food is in the pantry. I can show no, you No, I'll find it. it. Thanks. Ciao. Download C for me. Hey, what can I do for you? Hi, I'm locked out. Do you see a way I can get back in? Uh, let's move around the perimeter. You're right in front of a sliding glass door. Can you feel it? Be careful, Sophie. It's me, Sophie. There's people in the house. They're looking for me. Just stay calm. Where are they now? Close. If you stay down, you can make it. We need to get you to the basement and wait for the cops. Is there anything in my way? Wait, Sophie, wait! She dialed 911 12 minutes ago. You said the place was gonna be empty. I can get rid of the cops. And why would you do that? Who's gonna suspect the little blind girl, right? Could you open the door, please? They're <laughs> gonna kill you. No one's going anywhere. I swear we can do this. You just need to trust me. He's in the room. Let him get a little closer to you. Inhale. And on my mark. Fire! Downhill skier Sophie Scott has her Olympic dreams dashed when she is diagnosed with retinous pigmentosa, a degenerative eye disease causing blindness. Although her friend Cam offers to help her train for the Paralympics by working as her skiing guide, she refuses and gives up on her skiing dreams. And let's stop right there. So this speaks to one of my very small nitpicky challenges with this film. 
these details aren't made super clear. I don't recall Sophie's disability being specified in the film at all, and the lack of really any specific information around that and why she left skiing raised a lot of questions for me up front. Was Sophie's disability connected to a skiing accident? And her reluctance to return to the sport could be fear-based. Was this a progressive condition that led to her uh, giving up the sport? I think you get the point I'm trying to make here. Because we don't get a lot of background information on Sophie. So even small bits of information like this can make a huge difference in how we understand some of Sophie's actions and decisions throughout the film. I'm not talking about clunky exposition dumps or anything like that, but enough just to give us a little bit of context. So, what is retinous pigmentosa? From the National Eye Institute, retinous pigmentosa is a rare genetic disorder that folks are born with that impacts the retina, which is the light-sensitive layer of tissue in the back of the eye. Early symptoms are a loss of night vision and peripheral vision. So a person's field of vision will narrow into a kind of tunnel vision over time. Individuals can also experience loss of color vision and a high sensitivity to light. This all connects with the way that we see Sophie navigating the house later and how she uses the ability to see some light to stay out of the way of the thieves. There are a lot of things I really dig about this opening as Sophie is getting ready to head out to her kind of house and pet sitting gig. She is using safety pins on her clothes. Seemingly a number of safety pins on a clothing item indicates tops. Another a number of safety pins would indicate a bottom to help her know that she is packing, uh, you know, what she wants, and it's a great low-tech, everyday kind of technique that disabled folks use that are important but rarely depicted in film. So I loved seeing that. And it's nice to see something low-tech in a film that's kind of cruxed on using a smartphone and an app. So, she grabs her cane and is trying to sneak out the door when her mom stops her. In just a few lines of dialogue, you get that they have a pretty solid relationship, but that Sophie seems a bit stifled. Mom wants Sophie to check in as soon as she gets to the house, but is already calling and sending her emails uh, before she even gets there. <laughs> In fact, it is one of mom's emails that lets her know about the See For Me app. I see a lot of my relationship with my own mom in these moments. And it's nice to see something that doesn't feel so over the top and just overbearing. Just something that's really kind of simple and real. A parent that may be a little overprotective, you know, pushing and prodding in moments that maybe they can give a little bit of space, but doing so out of kindness, graciousness, and just wanting the best for their kid. So I really like seeing that depiction. But 
let's get back to our plot here. So to make money, Sophie is taking these pet and house-sitting gigs, um, particularly of wealthy homeowners, and she's stealing expensive wine from them to resell with the help of her friend, Cam. Sophie answers an ad for a cat-sitter and house-sitter placed by Deborah, a rich woman in upstate New York, leaving for a vacation after just divorcing her husband. The establishing of this plot point, I think, is done in a really cool way. Deborah has left, and Sophie is acquainting herself uh, using her phone to video chat with Cam while she moves around, so he is able to let her know what rooms are what. It is a great way to let us know how Sophie navigates new spaces, moving along the wall to feel for doors and the like. Another moment that I really liked here, she's at the wine cellar and pulls out a bottle to show Cam so he can tell her what kind it is and its worth. She says that she can't hear Cam googling the wine and that gets us to Cam saying he doesn't want to help her do kind of the theft portion of this anymore. It's a really kind of small moment, but Again, playing on this idea that, you know, when one of your senses isn't uh, kind of functioning at a certain level, your other senses are kind of utilized to uh, make up for it. So I like that she's like, I can't, I can't hear you Googling. So she becomes uh, really kind of aware of all of the things around her. And I like that. It makes her very... Uh, intelligent and very astute, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. But Deborah isn't gone very long before she calls and asks Sophie to arm the security system. Deborah is a little infantilizing in this conversation, a little bit condescending, insisting to be on the phone with Sophie as she arms the system so that she can, you know, help. The system is armed, and Sophie goes outside to smoke. She locks herself out and then downloads the app, uh, See For Me, so that she can hopefully find a way back in. So the See For Me app is an app that allows uh, visually impaired and blind folks to connect with a helper with vision, uh, via a video call. So she's connected with someone named Kelly, who happens to be a gamer located in Florida, who helps her to get inside by finding a sliding door and rocking it kind of off of its track so that then she can get herself inside. And there's a, a lot to talk about with this segment, and I want to start by getting a little nitpicky once again. I find it absolutely wild that this house doesn't have a smart security system so that Deborah would at least have remote access and get a notification on her phone or whatever device when Sophie sets the alarm off. Most security systems nowadays have apps that allow you to manage everything remotely. At least it would notify the police if it was set off. And Sophie probably would have been given 
that access to the security to the security system while she was staying because this is a woman on vacation. She's probably gone for at least a few days, if not, you know, a week, maybe even two. So you would want to make sure that the person has the code, has all the information and the ability to utilize the security system while you're away. I say all of this as the go-to uh, house and pet sitter uh, among my coworkers and a few friends. And I think all of this is just kind of standard. Uh, it's especially ridiculous because the cat has, I think, a smart color on it. So all of this just kind of, you know, doesn't connect. You know, you got to make it make sense to me why there would be some kind of heightened tech, but yet not. Um, so, yeah. But this all gets us to the See For Me app and Kelly. Now, I do love how quickly Sophie thinks to use this app. She's very quick, and as Skylar has described Sophie in interviews, very instinctual. She gets uh, connected to Kelly, and Kelly has been playing a first-person shooter game, and is checking Red Bull. So we get Gamer with a capital G. Sophie explains the situation, and Kelly mentions feeling a little bit out of her depths. She had just helped the last person she connected with, I think, throughout uh, expired food or something like that, and is not primed to help someone break into a house, but she does. She basically turns Sophie into a video game character, guiding Sophie around the perimeter of the house to find the sliding glass door that they end up maneuvering to get in. My issue with this is that all of this kind of takes away Sophie's autonomy in a roundabout way. I think Kelly is also a little OP or overpowered. Not only is she a gamer, which gives her that special uh, kind of know-how of guiding or navigating someone from a per, uh, very specific point of view, but she's also military. So when Sophie has a gun later in the film, she is kind of doubly skilled in instructing her how to use it and being able to, you know, make sure that she's able to aim, all of that stuff. Now, I do love Jessica Parker Kennedy's performance as Kelly. As Kelly. I think she's really, really good and really, I think, delivers a lot of uh, just nuance and kind of texture to the to the character, but... I don't know. Outside of, uh, you know, she and Skylar really working well off of each other in these moments, it's just a little bit too neat. And I feel this especially when we see these action moments playing out on Kelly's uh, computer display of, you know, a few different monitors. I think she has like a three monitor set up. It looks very much like a video game. It's just, I don't know. It just feels very, very kind of packaged and together 
neatly, especially because she says, I'm, I'm out of my depth. It would be nice if that was something that would kind of carry out throughout their interactions if, if Kelly felt really challenged in how to help Sophie in this kind of bonkers situation. So let's get into the bonkers situation. Uh, later that night, Sophie is awoken by three men breaking into the house. She calls 911 and reports the break-in, but the 911 operator tells her it will be a long response time due to the house's remote location. She hangs up and uses the See For Me app to contact Kelly again, because we did get a moment of her saving Kelly's contact within the app so that she could reach out to Kelly. Like I said, they do have a really, really good rapport and dynamic as they're interacting. So I I kind of dug that being like, yeah, this person helped me and we connected. So this is the person I want to, I want to talk to next. During their call, the thieves end up catching Sophie and the call is disconnected. Kelly, desperate to help Sophie, contacts the police to have them cross-reference to 911 calls in an attempt to locate the house that Sophie is in, because I think Sophie does have the opportunity to let Kelly know that she had made uh, the call. So Sophie learns that the, the men that have broken into the house are there to steal $7 million hidden in a safe in a wall. After checking Sophie's phone and seeing that she had called 911, the men contemplate giving up the score and killing her. They call their boss, Rico, who tells them to let Sophie live, and she has not seen anyone. Rico also instructs them to pack up their gear and come back later. Sophie convinces them to give her a share of the take in exchange for sending the police away. Because again, she called the authorities. So they are en route. And so she's trying to strike this deal with them. Sophie convinces them to give her a share in exchange for turning the police away when they arrive. She does call 911 a second time to try to cancel the initial report and report it as you know, a misunderstanding, but is told that the police have to respond even after a false alarm is reported. And I do love this little twist here with Sophie trying to strike a deal with the men and doing so earnestly. I mean, Sophie is a criminal. She was going to steal from the home. And so I, I really love how this is a way to elevate the stakes beyond just a bottle of wine. She wants to go in with these people that are really uh, doing a number on this house. The deputy arrives to investigate. Sophie lies and says that there was no emergency, keeping her end of the bargain with the thieves. As the deputy is about to leave, Kelly's alert is radioed out and Sophie's lie is revealed. The deputy calls for backup and attempts to arrest the intruders, but is killed by one of the men. Sophie escapes with the deputy's gun and calls Kelly for help again. 
While she is on the phone with Kelly and telling her that the deputy has been killed, you get some really great acting from Skylar, as they are selling us on the guilt that Sophie feels over the deputy's death. Sophie tells Kelly that it's her fault that the deputy died, and she should have just gone with the deputy when she showed up and been honest. I really like that we get these layers of Sophie here. And this is, I think, about the time that we also are let in to the fact that Kelly is military, but she is on admin duty. She's being reprimanded. I don't think we get any more additional detail on that, but, you know, this is really, I think, a character also trying to find some penance in doing the work of, of helping out some folks. So I found all of that really interesting and a key as to maybe why these two characters find such a connection. So as we go on, Kelly helps uh, Sophie shoot because Sophie now has the deputy's gun. Kelly helps uh, Sophie shoot two of these thieves while the third man finishes breaking into the safe. So that's another thing. There's uh, one of the thieves is drilling into the safe. It's causing a lot of noise, which allows Sophie to kind of navigate to different areas of the house. One of the things I find also really interesting is that home invasion in horror often can come off as a little bit house porn uh, like in a lot of ways we're in these really palatial homes uh, more times than not and it's really you know uh, kind of a tour of these houses as you know some horrific things go down isn't the case with this film. We're not given these really beautiful shots of this home and, you know, the sprawling layout and all of this stuff. We get, you know, some things here and there, but we really are kind of locked into Sophie's perspective. And I think that's a really interesting and cool way to approach this film. But back to our plot. So before Sophie can shoot uh, the final robber who is taking the safe and who is opening the safe and taking the money, uh, the phone dies and the call with Kelly ends. Although the thief tells Sophie that he is about to leave, she shoots him when he reaches for the dead police officer's taser. She waits for the police to arrive, but is surprised by the appearance of Rico. So these uh, thieves that are in the house are talking to their boss, Rico, on the phone, kind of getting some guidance as Sophie pops up and kind of throws a wrench in their plan. Rico reveals that he is Deborah's ex-husband, and he's hired these thieves to break into the safe and steal his money back. From his ex-wife. He tells her that Deborah did not know that the safe or the money was actually in the house and tries to convince her to let him take the money. So now you get another criminal trying to strike a bargain, uh, which I found kind of interesting. Sophie refuses and cuts off the lights in the house 
bidding Rico to chase her. After running out of ammunition in her gun, she's caught by Rico and almost dies as he strangles her, but gains some upper hand strength and bludgeons him to death. The film overall, I have to say, doesn't go uh, really at all that far with any gore, blood, uh, anything like that, but this is pretty shockingly brutal, and the 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 look on Sophie's face as this is going down is really something. Such such great acting, such a great performance here. So we're now after the events, and Sophie has been recovering in the hospital. She tells her mom that she has decided to try out for the Paralympics and plans to ski again. Her mom tells her that they will need money to buy this new gear, and Sophie clutches her backpack and smiles, implying that she took some of the money with her from the house. Because, of course. Shortly after, Sophie video calls Kelly to give her an update on her skiing progress while Cam acts as Sophie's guide. And that's the plot of our movie. I think this is so good and um, such a tight kind of little home invasion film. One of the things that really stands out to me about this movie is that we do not really waste any time getting into the thick of the action. And I like that we have a complex character in Sophie. We're able to see lots of different layers, lots of different motivations and things at play. Like I said, as I was going through and, uh, you know, nitpicking a couple of things here and there, and I must say, I do wish that our group of thieves had more to do, I really, really like this film. I think it's really interesting. I love the little details and things that are at play that make it stand out um, in comparison to the other films I referenced, Wait Until Dark and Hush. There's just some really interesting things going on, and again, it's 90 minutes. Don't know anyone who doesn't love an easy breezy 90 minute kind of thriller. So, if that's what you're in the market for, I don't think this is going to steer you wrong, and the performances are really really top-notch. So, now I want to transition and talk a little bit about the star of the film, Skylar Davenport. I mentioned that I had read and listened to a number of different interviews, and I found them so engaging and fascinating, and I wanted to share some interesting tidbits that I learned through the interviews. So, Skylar is legally blind. They have a rare genetic condition called hemoplegic migraines, and this led to a stroke that then led to permanent vision loss. And this happened in 2012, and they would have been 20 years old at that time. In talking about this experience, Skylar described feeling burdensome after the stroke. Skylar had to relearn to walk, and in talking about all of this experience, really framed it in terms of feeling burdensome, and it 
being just a really challenging and difficult experience. And it was really, I think, impactful. And I appreciated that they framed it in that way because, you know, there's still that that sense of toxic positivity when folks with disabilities talk about what things are like for us. We have to be like, ah, you know, yeah, things are a challenge, but you know, everything is great and we're able to to get through our day super easy and fine. But there's a lot of complex emotions and difficulties that we don't put voice to. And I really appreciate Skylar for speaking a little bit about that. Worth noting that Skylar is also on the autism spectrum. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Skylar does identify as being non-binary and talked about in the interviews that I read and listened to that experience and having surgery in 2010 and how really uh, identifying as non-binary and that journey uh, really just kind of, you know, uh, feeling more comfortable now, more recently. And it's really, really interesting so I highly recommend, um, I'll, I'll link a couple of, I think, really, really cool interviews in the show notes. Definitely worth a read um, and a watch if you're so inclined. They also have a pretty extensive background in voiceover work. It's been kind of primarily what they've done in their career. And it's ex- just expansive. Uh, their first credit goes all the way back to 2004 for a video game and really started working consistently in 2012 doing TV work, video games, a whole smorgasbord. I checked out a couple of the projects they've been associated with and it's pretty cool. I have a real appreciation for that kind of skill and uh, it's interesting, I think, uh, to to see someone's kind of whole breadth of work in that way. So, yeah, if you're interested, they have, like I said, kind of a whole array, some animation, video games. Check it out. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I really enjoyed talking about this film. It was a lot of fun. I like Home Invasion, so obviously this was going to be a bit in my wheelhouse anyway, but I loved the performances. I think Skylar was incredible in the role of Sophie and just a lot of really cool moments that really stood out to me. It's well worth a watch and I'm really excited for what they do next. I will definitely be on board for that. A huge, huge shout out to Anatomy of a Scream, as always, for giving Bodies of Horror its home. I mentioned at the very top a couple of shows that you can access here on the Anatomy of a Scream feed, and I highly recommend checking those out. Lots of good stuff always coming down the pike. Uh, Good for Her is also turning out regular episodes, and I've had a lot of fun with those. So definitely check those out. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you found this episode interesting. 
Always feel free to reach out to me at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com and say hey, provide some feedback, recommend films for me to cover on the podcast. All that stuff is really appreciated. So thank you again and until next time. Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.